Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series for leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive workplaces where people can do their absolute best. Each week I will interview a leader who epitomizes the ability to empower others to lead and create amazing workplaces, environments and communities because of that skill. In these interviews I try as much as possible to let our guests do all the talking as they are the stars and not me. I trust you enjoy the lessons and wisdoms each guest shares and if you're like me, listen to the interviews a number of times to capture some of the true gems of leadership we hear each week. Our next guest is Jamie Corball. Before we start this interview, I'll ask you this question. Do you want to learn how to be a leader when the most confronting of crises are occurring around you? If you do, this is the interview for you. Jamie Caldwell is the current Director of Energy Operations, which is part of the New South Wales Treasury Cluster in the Office of Energy and Climate Change. Jamie has lived the blueprint for how to prepare for leading in a crisis across a wide and varied level of situations simply because he has created the experiences repeatedly where he has the skills to perform at a high level in any crisis. Mix this with the anomaly that he left school at 15 years of age, became a professional lifeguard on Wollongong Beach, and then put himself through a private paramedic training course in his early 20s. This is really an amazing interview when you see where he takes us. Four things that Jamie leaves us in this interview about leadership are just gold, and I'll share them with you now. We are all equal. Be inquisitive. Don't be afraid to open up doors and create opportunities for yourself. Establish, build, and maintain good relationships. Everything hinges on that. And be honest and truthful and build a good reputation. How I first met Jamie was as the Regional Emergency Management Officer in the New South Wales Police when he was at what we called Northwest Region. Um, and he, I worked with him between 2017 and 2019. And just not to embarrass you, you're probably one of the best, um, the, the acronym for that, that job is a REMO. You're probably one of the best REMOs I've ever worked with. Um, and we, we did some pretty spectacular things together because of your skills. Um, so, and in between you leaving us and uh, being the, the Director of Energy Operations, um, you worked for Transport New South Wales between 2019 and 2022 in a range of different roles, all appropriate to your skill set as a manager and senior manager in a number of positions. So, welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you very much, Alan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's very exciting uh, to have someone like you because um, you're only... Um, uh, I suppose compared to me, relatively young, uh, like I'm retired now, but uh, you, you've been doing a lot since um, I, I met you um, and I thought it was quite important to get someone like you on the show um, to show kind of what's possible uh, when you chase a, a few opportunities. And on top of all the things that I know about you, you're also president of the Bulleye Surf Lifesaving Club, um, which I know you're quite active in as well. So, um, so. Before we get uh, into the the crux of the show, because the crux the real the show is really all about you and how does how does you happen really, um, and and all the kind of opportunities and 
and support and maybe mentorship and coaching you were given to to create where you're at now. The first question I'll ask you that every guest gets asked is, um, what was your first experience in true leadership and why? And it can be as a kid or it can be even yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So my first uh, exposure to leadership and, and what I would say is quality leadership um, really, really was my family when I uh, when I think about it. And what I mean by that is, is both sets of grandparents and also uh, mum and dad um, very much come from a family of giving back to the community um, and giving giving to others, so to speak. Um, but not only that, um, uh, both sets of grandparents and also my parents, um, from a professional point of view, um, also um, achieved um, some pretty some pretty special and cool things in their in their professional lives. So, you know, for example, um, my grandfather on my father's side um, ended up retiring very high up within um, uh, the old PMG Postmaster General, which then became Telecom. Um, my grandfather on my mum's side uh, was a very successful businessman in the, the transport industry, um, bus, bus companies. Um, my grandmother on my mum's side, um, she uh, very much was, uh, um, didn't really professionally um, paid, no paid work, but voluntary work, um, uh, Catholic Women's Association and, and a few other bits and pieces like that. Um, and then, yeah, once again, in, in uh, into my parents. Um, so, you know, I grew up as a kid with mum and dad heavily involved in um, various levels of, of sport and community service. So um, uh, dad tied up within the surf club, uh, mum tied up within netball and also within the surf club. Um, and, you know, that, that leadership exposure um, continued on. Uh, like I said, in their professional lives. So dad did 30-odd years with New South Wales Police as well. Um, and what he achieved within the cops was was pretty unique and, and pretty special. Even, even though he never climbed uh, the ranks, it was the, the areas where he served and his specialties um, that stood him out as a, a leader within the cops. Um, and then also, the you know, for, for, for dad as well, um, he's... Um, uh, social life within the cops as well, a bit of a leader in, in that space um, across the old um, uh, police footy, which for those that, that know uh, New South Wales police and, and the different social um, bits and pieces, is it, it's an important part of that organisation. So, look, personally for me, that, that first exposure really was um, my family, which I suppose that, that saying, you're, um, you're a byproduct of your environment, I, I, I think. Oh, wonderful. That's a real so, – so many guests on the show actually um, will uh, pinpoint a grandfather or a father or an aunt. So, yeah. But you're actually um, – you're targeted the whole, the whole family group So as well. So it's quite, quite beautiful. Well done. Um, next uh, kind of set question that we ask is what's something about um, Jamie Corwell that the world doesn't know? Um. I have a background as a paramedic, private paramedic. Um, part, part of my time, my experience and my CV is, is actually in um, paramedicine. Um, not that I'm registered anymore or practice anymore or anything along those lines, but um, uh, a lot of people, there's, there's not many people that do know this, but um, I absolutely hate needles. 
Um, <laughs> I, can, I can give people needles. I, I could give people needles when, when I was practicing, but as soon as that needle turns 180 degrees my way, um, I, I'm no good, mate. I uh, sweat up. I, I, I get... Uh, I get sick just thinking about it. Um, oh, well, so, well. You know, I can, so, you know, one thing I'd always say to, to, to mum and dad is, hey, you know I'm not going to have any problems with drugs or anything along those lines, because, <laughs> uh, especially those kind of uh, illicit drugs that, that need to go in through uh, any kind of needle. Uh, I hate them. I cannot do them. Um, like I said, I can use them on people, but other than that, even if I'm well. watching a TV show where they show it, and even in my days working in that space... Um, if someone else was doing it, uh, I couldn't watch. But if I had well, to do it on someone, something would come over me, I'd get it done. But if, if it was any other situation, could not do it. Could not do well, it at all. So, yeah, needles, well, absolute phobia of needles. <laughs> well done. Well done. That's a good one. All right. So let's get um, probably how I might lead you in this interview is um, your job title, current, your current job title is um, – and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you to explain it. Uh, you're Director of Energy Operations, which is, uh, from what I can see, is part of the New South Wales Treasury. And it's all about climate change and energy management and emergency energy management as well. Um, do you want to talk about just a little bit about what that role is? Yeah, yeah, by all means. So, um, yeah, Director of Energy Operations sits within the Office of Energy and Climate Change, which is... Uh, uh, an agency in the cluster of New South Wales Treasury. Um, so as Director of Energy Operations, I have a branch that has uh, three sort of main functions within it. And, and that is the energy and utility emergency management piece, which I'll, I'll talk to in a second. And then I have um, two other teams, which is uh, the electrical networks and also the pipelines and gas network team. Um, so pipeline and gas networks, um, we have a safety and technical regulation um, uh, piece to play there, as well as part of the uh, um, approvals and, and licensing of um, pipelines um, within New South Wales. Um, the electric uh, electricity networks, um, we've got uh, a, a, a technical advisory piece that we play in there. Um, we also coordinate and manage the accredited service provider scheme, which is um, uh, the level one, level two, level three um, electrical contractors um, and that licensing piece. Uh, I also have a compulsory acquisitions team that look after the compulsory acquisitions of, of land for significant energy infrastructure um, purposes. And then, yeah, as I said, first up, the, the energy emergency management team. So, under the New South Wales emergency management arrangements. Um, uh, we obviously have our emergency service organisations, um, police, fire, ambulance, uh, marine rescue, VRA and surf life saving now. Um, and then we've got our, our functional areas, um, transport, health, animal and agriculture and a few others. Um, energy and utility is one of those functional areas. So part of my role as well, I hold the legislative role of the energy and utility services functional area coordinator for the state of New South Wales, which um, has me on the state emergency management committee and a number of national uh, emergency management committees as the uh, the lead from a uh, an energy and utility piece. And when I say utilities, um, that's water, liquid fuels um, and gas as well. So it's um, 
it's a pretty big remit that I have. Um, it's a it's a very interesting space that I've gone into. Obviously, there's that emergency management piece there that I'm very passionate about and have been involved in for, for a long period of time. But I'm also jumping into a bit of an area that um, I'm brand new to as well, the, the actual energy and utility sector. So uh, it's been three months so far, and it's been a very interesting journey, that's for sure. I must, I must, um, that's one of the, you know, we, we had your interview uh, lined up probably a few months ago, but then you gave me a heads up that you were going into this new role and we wanted to give you a chance to settle into that role. But I must say personally, congratulations um, in securing the role you've got because uh, it's um, your your emergency management skills speak for themselves, but um, it's, it's so current and so... Um, yeah, probably high profile what you're doing now. So um, to yep. to be selected, you, know, you wouldn't have been the only person to go for the job. So to be selected, because um, you're a relatively young man still, um, well done, really well done. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, maybe, maybe I was the only person that applied. I was just um, trying to get, make a bit of context because our um, podcast goes all over the world. Um, some of you know Brussels and Ireland and America and some uh, Canada, some incredible places where it goes to. Um, so I, I think I recently heard um, uh, say in the the big floods down towards um, Daniloquin and around there, mm -hmm. I thought, or maybe even a little bit higher up towards Lithgow, wasn't there something about um, the gas supply was threatened? <laughs> so, so so was that was that was that you were in the forefront of that? Spot on, mate. So literally within the two weeks of arriving in this role and, and what would, you know, usually be the, the softening up period and, and getting to meet everybody, I was straight into it. So, yes, we did have uh, a, a gas emergency in the central west of New South Wales. So um, out around Bathurst, um, Lithgow, um, Oberong and, 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 and places out or other communities out around there. Um, what uh, occurred was um, a, a major gas pipeline that runs between Lithgow and Bathurst um, was actually completely broken into pieces uh, in the Macquarie River um, just just uh, outside of Bathurst. And, and what that uh, what transpired as part of that was um, a complete loss of, of gas to uh, upstream um, to those communities. Uh, and then what occurred off the back of that was obviously a, a significant uh, coordinated response um, from not only uh, the gas industry, but also uh, under the New South Wales Emergency Management Arrangements to then uh, not only manage the, the emergency and the restoration of the gas, so the industry piece, but also uh, the consequences, managing and, and helping coordinate the consequences for the communities um, across that 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 geographical area. So, um, you know, the and ironically, um, you mentioned before uh, my old role where we came into contact with each other as a Remo. One of the last exercises I was ever involved in as a Remo was a gas outage exercise to the Blue Mountains. Um, so I, I, you know, had this occur and, and it just went to show that planning and preparation is key because I sat here in my new role quickly looking through the various different plans and relying on my gut instinct. But the way that I had trained before and the exercises that I had been involved before then helped set me up to uh, be the Energy and Utility Services Functional Area Coordinator and, and lead um, through that particular emergency with the other um, partner organisations. So 
gas was out um, to a number of communities for a, a pretty significant point of time until a temporary solution could be established. Um, and then the other significant part of that uh, response and restoration is the way we actually need to restore the gas network. It's not like electricity where you can just flick a switch and everything comes back on. Um, there's a need to um, bleed out the system of air and pressurise it, um, having every individual connection point, meter connection point on the network be turned off to then be turned back on. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it was a very significant incident uh, to, to be involved in in the first month being there. But it also, I think, gave me a chance to um, sort of show my colours and, and be able to show who I am, what I am, how I operate, um, and, and, you know, show why uh, I was selected for that role as well um, and, and mm. lead, lead the team through it. So, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting way to start a new job, that's for well, sure. So you said um, the pipeline, pipeline broke into pieces in the Macquarie River. So what, the floods just smashed the, the gas line in the river? Yeah, so um, at this point in time, uh, it's still not completely understood exactly what's happened, and and there is a number of um, uh, investigations going on to establish what the actual cause was. Um, so yeah, in due course, we'll have a much better idea of what has actually happened and and what the fail points were and and what the the, the lessons are that we can learn from it and and also share with our our national partners in this space. Um, but yeah, something obviously something significant went wrong where we had uh, a pipe, um, yeah, fail pretty much. So um, yeah, time will tell the exact ins and outs of of what has occurred. Yeah, the complexities of what you uh, just uh, went through is quite amazing. Actually, that, that job you just described. So you would have had. I'm just thinking out loud what that would mean. Like if you have to bleed, and I know nothing about what you just talked yep. about, but if you have to bleed a pipe, um, a gas pipe, how far out do you have to bleed it? Is that in another state as well, or um, how does how does that work? Yeah, so not for this particular situation, not not that far down the line, um, but the affected communities that didn't have gas, um, so you know that that central west region, Bathurst, as I said before, Bathurst, Lithgow, Oberong, and and those communities in between, all of that. All around that area was where the the bleeding out had to occur, and and as I said before, all the connection points being turned off before gas is pressurised back in the system to then go back around and turn them all back on. So interestingly, um, that particular um, situation, uh, when we talk, you know, a multi-agency context, we had police, rural fire service, SES, uh, VRA. Um, I think we also, off the back of my mind, we had uh, Department of Regional New South Wales and maybe even DCJ, I think, also involved. Do you want to, um, just, do you want to just um, say you've mentioned, like you're showing your ex-police colours here, you're using a lot of uh, TLAs, uh, three-letter three acronyms and stuff like yep. that. So VRA and DCJ. So yep. for anyone else? Volunteer Rescue Association and uh, and Department of Community and Justice. Um, yeah. Okay. Yep. So some of their a, a whole heap of their personnel involved in uh, with Gemina, uh, who's the the gas supplier out that way, um, involved in the, uh, the the turning off and turning back on of all those meters um, around those communities. So yeah. So what's that? What's 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 that look like? I'm just trying to think. Hmm. Are, are you are you the are you the the final person that says right turn it back on again 
do you need confirmation from every one of those bleed points um, that it's right? And how? what's the time frame and how do you pull that off? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's the service provider that will take the, the um, I suppose we could say the, the control of that particular element of turning it all back on. Um, and our role really was to help facilitate all of that multi-agency um, involvement, um, as well as the local emergency operations centre that was stood up and also concurrently some regional emergency operations centres. So all, all of that, you know, ongoing um, stakeholder relationship piece taking place in there. But yeah, the actual tactical element of it, yes, um, all, all of those points need to be confirmed that they're off before they can pressurise uh, uh, the pipelines and the system in that area again. And then once pressurised, they can then get back out and switch them uh, switch them back on. Um, so yeah, that that did take in some of those communities. That did take a couple of days to work through the sheer amount of um, gas connection points. Um, yeah, there are. So yeah, we're talking like on the meters out the front of of an actual property or a facility um, uh, at, at the meter point is is where they would need to isolate it um, in preparation for that um, confirmation of oh, yeah. it's isolated oh, yeah. and then. And then, um, yeah, repressurizing. So, um, very. So how, you know, how, keep going, yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, when when we talk about the different types of hazards and emergencies that we have in this world, um, uh, a very different kind of situation when we talk the multi-agency aspect of people being involved and and having police and New South Wales SES members, state emergency service members, and and rural fire service members walking up and down the streets, turning gas connection points off. Um, well, you know, well, there, there's some there's some urgency in that to get that done, but it's not your traditional red and blue lights. There's the big fire over there. There's the big you know storm over there. So um, yeah, very very different sort of um, concept for people to um, to process. Yeah. Well done, well done. And um, again, your skills. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll talk about this this throughout this interview. Um, you said that you'd done a, your last exercise as a regional emergency management officer for the police was um, a gas outage in the Blue Mountains. So yep. we will talk about um, throughout this interview uh, your planning and preparation and your skills in in exercising and, and why exercise. But how how long was um, how long were those communities without gas and what kind of pressure were you under? To get it, to get it back up again. Um, yeah, it, pr pressure definitely not only us but the um, the industry partners that were involved in that. Yes, pressure from you know the usual story um, uh, uh, levels of government and and more importantly the community. And obviously everybody's working with the community's um, best interests at heart here. Um, but obviously there was a, a significant temporary um, solution that was required that that. You know, once again, when we talk the emergency management piece that required um, components of systems to come from other states and territories, um, it required um, significant infrastructure works from um, public works um, and the, the, the engineering services functional area um, to provide assistance at the, uh, the, the temporary uh, location site for that uh, solution that was required. Um, so yeah, it, it was, um, off the, off the top of my head, it, it was, uh, you know, there were some communities without gas for, uh, five to seven days, if I remember right, maybe even a tad longer in some of the more isolated and, and remote communities around that, that part of the world. 
Um, so, you know, once again, in regards to managing the consequences, the work that the local emergency management committee and the, the local emergency operations centre did um, establishing facilities for people to be able to get hot showers that didn't have access to hot showers at home because they had gas systems and um, uh, cooking facilities. Um, because once again, gas cooktops and had no other option to be able to, to cook, for example, um, uh, that, that was required. So once again, the, the emergency management um, framework in New South Wales and the COGS turning, as we do, really well, but in a, in a different situation, once again, it's not evacuating people because of a flood or a, or a storm or a bushfire. It was um, because people didn't have access to uh, potentially heat and yeah. cooking and and yeah so um so yeah it, it, there was a a period of time where yes there was a number of mechanisms put put in place to support all those communities as required okay so anyone listening to this now just um will realize like you're you're two you're only a month into this job and you've probably had a scenario that's never really happened before to the to the degree that it had happened um and just listening to you explain it, there was no, I can hear, there's no panic, there was no angst, there was a procedure, there was a structure, and there was a lot of relationships um, called upon. So I wanna, the interview will go in that direction because not everyone has that skill to, to form the relationships in an emergency to get the outcome that you need when it's time critical and time pressured and, um, and media and government pressured for an outcome to happen pretty quick. So we'll go there in a minute. But one, one of the other things you just said that I, I thought might be interesting for the listeners about your new role is you said you're into acquisitions. One part of your streams as, as one of your main, three main functions is an acquisition team for significant energy infrastructure. So I just saw something, in the, and I might be totally wrong here, but I just saw something in the news in the last week I think a, a farmer down in the Riverina or something somewhere, um, their property is earmarked for renewable um, renewable um, energy lines to go through. Um, yep. Is that what your part of part of your remit is? Yeah. So there is um, some fairly significant, yes. Um, uh, energy and future energy infrastructure projects in New South Wales. Um, traditionally, my team more looks after the, um, the more established um, energy, mainly electricity um, infrastructure. So the really big um, transmission, high voltage transmission lines. Yep. Um, in regards to those renewable energy um, sort of zones that have been stood up and, those, uh, and that renewable energy infrastructure, um, and the acquisitions around that piece. There's actually other parts um, of government that are looking after the acquisitions process within uh, within that space. Um, okay. But um, but you know same same kind of challenges that that you know need to go on within that space. Um, very similar processes that need to occur within that space. Um, so it's um yeah you know it's 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 I suppose a part of a part of government that needs to be there and we need to have that capability um, and not just here in energy but obviously across um, all the critical infrastructure having that that capability in place yeah yeah okay so let's get into it then um, it's quite obvious you are skilled at what you do 
you wouldn't be in the role that you're in. Um, you have all these skills that I just highlighted, like um, relationships, uh, awareness, planning, preparation, training, exercises, and, a, and an ability to respond in a structured, calm way when the real emergency happens. How does this happen? What's what's Jamie Corbell's story? How how did you build this capability? Because not everyone can function when it when you know the colloquial hits the fan. Um, yeah, that's 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 a good question. I suppose I've um, I don't know. I've I've always found and take a step back. If I go all the way back to where I started my working life, um, I only went to year ten. Um, so I left school in year 10 because I found school really boring. Um, it wasn't for me. And I started working as a lifeguard pretty much straight away uh, the, the day after that I left um, with Wollongong City Council, a professional ocean lifeguard. Um, you then kind of look at my career through that whole period of time. Um, yeah, there was a couple of years where I, I dabbled in a couple of other things because I thought that was the way that I was going. Um, but I came back into, you know, this emergency management, emergency services kind of space. Um, for me, I've always found um, crisis times. Uh, I've always found for me that time actually slows down. So, you know, a lot of people talk about being in car accidents and, you know, being in bushfires and everything was so quick and it went flying by them. I, I have personally always found that, Time slowed down for me and I've had the space to be able to um, critically look at what's going on, assess what's happening and then, you know, make decisions. Um, and th and like I said, that's that's I've been doing that since, well, left school in year 10, which I was 15. Um, so it's been a, a long period of time now. But the other the other thing I think as well, and I don't know whether you can train I don't know whether we can really train people to have that kind of um, space and time during critical thinking periods. Um, so maybe it is something that, I don't know, I was, I, I was born with. Um, um, yeah, but yeah. it's definitely something that probably, once again, I mentioned it before, it's a byproduct of your environment. Um, yeah. when, when I look back at what, you know, dad was involved in within the cops, and that includes, you know, a number of years as a full-time undercover operative um, yeah. within um, a special services group in New South Wales and, and drug squad, surveillance squad. You know, I've got a feeling, and, and he's now now passed, he's not with us anymore, but, you know, I've got a feeling that he had a very similar knack and ability. So I, I, I do think that it's just been sort of passed through the DNA. Um, yeah. because I, I will say, yes, I've done a lot of, training and, and a lot of education but nothing's trained me or educated me for that time slowing down piece what what i've educated for is the decisions to make in that time slowing down piece but the actual what feels like time slowing down being able to take deep breaths and slow the heart rate down and everything like that that's just been a natural ability that i've found i i i really don't know where i've got that from to be honest yeah Maybe um, uh, I remember uh, my old boss, Mark Jones. Um, I think you probably worked yeah. for him, Assistant, Assistant Commissioner Mark Jones. Yeah. yeah, BP, a very well known undercover operative at an exceptionally high level. And he always talked about you and in that he, he knew your dad and worked with your dad. So that's yep. where that comes from, the undercover part of it. Yep. But if you're around that, 
I would imagine if you're around like undercover operatives at an elite level, do slow down, don't they? <laughs> um, they, 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 they're exceptionally calm um, and used to operating in high stress environments. So maybe you're right. You're, you're a product of your environment. Um, watching how your dad uh, approached things in family life, probably that were nothing compared to what he approached in his policing life. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and you know, definitely not saying here that I ever I ever you know did the work of a UC operative or anything along those lines. But um. Um, yeah, you know, you, you talk and, and, and you, you talk about leadership and, and um, skills and ability being passed on to people. And, and yeah, a, a man like BP, especially Mark Jones, um, BP was dad's boss through that whole period of time uh, at the yep. use. So, you know, and I think of some of the others that were in and around that time that I, I got to meet and know and um, and, and not just the, the connections within the UCs, but also some of the other areas uh, of, um, you know, quite well-known, high-ranking New South Wales police officers that have similar kind of abilities. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I think it's when, when you're around like-minded people um, and then, you know, keeping in, in mind at the same time, that's, that's what's going on in kind of the personal life that's rubbing off. But in my own, you know, professional life, during that period of time, I'm already working. I'm, I'm already working as a lifeguard on the beaches. I'm already working, uh, you know, starting to do uh, my paramedic thing. Um, I'm, so I'm starting to branch into my own uh, yeah. expertise and world in this space. So it's, it's all coming together through, I, I suppose, different influencing factors. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like I said, that, that ability to slow down what's going on um, – I don't know. It's just I've just always had it. I've, yeah. I, I don't know where it's okay. come from. Yeah. So, so we've got lifeguard at fifteen. You call it your paramedic thing. Um, yep. When did you become a paramedic? Uh, so that was early twenties. So basically, what occurred was um, I yeah started lifeguarding. Um, I then spent some time as a paid uh, employee of Surf Life Saving. So I, I managed Surf Life Saving Illawarra, the region, for a couple of years. Um, I then went back to lifeguarding. Um, I then had an opportunity to uh, run Kiama Council's lifeguard service. So I actually um, went into a, a coordinator's role uh, of that. Um, it was all just before that time that I, I started um, doing, at the time, it was only a paramedic degree that you required. Um, and look, I must admit that the, the idea was that maybe I'll jump into New South Wales ambulance. Um, but I, I did my paramedic diploma off my own back through um, my own means. Um, and then opportunities just started opening. Um, and what occurred was is I, I found a number of private companies here in New South Wales that were doing um, high risk paramedic work, which included things like the V8 supercars, it included TV shows, it included um, Defence Force contracts. So um, I spent some time uh, going off with the Defence Force um, on exercises, so um, uh, exercises and, and other bits and pieces with them as, as medical support. Um, uh, and, and then that translated into um, opening doors up into the resource environment in Western Australia. I then uh, managed to go across to WA and work in the private emergency services sector of the iron ore industry. 
um, for a couple of different companies and, and straight away started moving up within the ranks. So I, I arrived as a paramedic. Um, I got all my fire and rescue qualifications while I was over there and then morphed into a supervisor, then morphed into a coordinator and then into a manager and, and, and leading a number of, of bits and pieces over there. Um, around that time, you know, a few years, so it was about four and a half years over there. I've, I've now got in the time frame of life, I've got a, a young son that's come along with, with my um, now wife. Um, I, I, I'm commuting back and forth from Wollongong, where I live, Wollongong in New South Wales, doing weeks on, weeks off. Um, it then translated into having enough of going over there. I then started my own um, company um, in the incident response, emergency management, and an RTO, a registered training organisation, in in doing uh, medical fire rescue um, and other qualifications. Um, I then ended up jumping up in Queensland for a number of contracts up there in the private emergency services and then got to around 2017 where I went, nah, I need to be closer to home. And the other thing too was is that I was doing all of this stuff living in, living in Wollongong, living in the northern suburbs of Wollongong, but going elsewhere to do everything. And, and I felt this want and need to, um, to look after my own people of New South Wales, if, you know, it sounds very cheesy and, and cliche, but that I, I, I felt as if I had to come back and, and, and look after my own, as I said. So, yeah, that, that then opened up uh, my thoughts of, of coming back to New South Wales, um, applying for a Remo role, because that's where I knew would be a really good spot to get back into government and have touch points with so many different people and then it basically went on from there as you explained there before um, um got into the 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 remo world with new south wales police and then i think it was within the first couple of weeks of the remo role basically people asking hey when are you leaving and and coming coming over to us um okay. yeah yeah so it's 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 been a journey um but it's like i said apart from a couple of years where i thought I may have been a real estate agent and and did try year of of real estate agency and then I realised that nah this this isn't I like real estate I don't like selling real estate uh, um, yeah, yeah. and then um yeah and then I jumped into uh, another about six months of selling wine and and this was when I was like in my very early twenties and then yep. yeah back into the lifeguarding and then it set me on the trajectory of okay. of now where I am yeah. The so one of the that's a really really probably honest account of how you look for opportunities how you built your skill base how you built your ability to um have relationships across a whole wide world of different sectors um and different agencies like local federal local state and federal level and private level yep. so that's kind of that says how you're doing what you're doing now one of the things um that this program is aimed at as well is is helping future leaders. So what I really liked about your story just then is you're pretty open. You you hated school. You left at year ten at the age of fifteen, but then when you found what you wanted to do, you went back to university and did a degree, and self-funded it. Yeah. So that's um. How old were you then when you did that paramedic degree? Um. So I would have been um twenty. 
23, 24, something along those lines. Yeah. How did how did you cope with the rigors of university when you'd only gone to year ten? Um, yeah. Look, the, 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 definitely the hardest piece of all of that was um, the um, the structure of the way uh, that higher institution wanted things done. Um, yeah. so, you know the the way you needed to reference things, the way yes, you needed yeah. to um, set up. Uh, documents, assessments, and everything like that. That was definitely the "am I in over my head here" type thing. Um, yeah. But but at the same time as well, you know, I just did what I did then. I I would connect with people that I worked out could help me in that space. Well done. Um, well done. Yeah. And, and and the other thing that I'm I you know am, am very passionate about is just discovering. So once I realized that, okay, this is what I need to do, it was then start doing my own learning and development in that space. Um, so, you know, opening up uh, and, and researching um, and, and finding out the ins and outs of, of what needed to be done. The other flip side too was not being afraid to ask questions. Um, and that, that's, probably, that's probably one of my other things, which is I'll I'm happy to ask the questions and I'm also happy to put my foot in a door, push the door open and go, Hey, what needs to be done here? How do we do this? Or can I talk to you type thing? So yeah, yeah, look, it it was definitely, it was definitely a a big, a big sort of um, step. Um, But you know, when you're passionate about something as well, it also comes easy to you. So that, that was the other piece too. There, There was a, there was an interest, there was a passion there. And I suppose there was also at that point in time, you know, I had a, a goal um, and I knew that I needed it to then get somewhere else. It was a stepping stone. Um, and, and that's another thing that I think I've always been pretty good with um, that, you know, would be advice that I would pass on to, to younger leaders is, um, you know, identify your goals, work out what your stepping stones are to get there. And, you know, kind of don't, don't be afraid to add more stepping stones to help make the journey easier. The leaps don't need to be, in an analogy, the, the leaps across those stones don't need to be so big. You can throw yes. some little ones in there to help you um, yeah. navigate that journey. Yeah, yeah. Well done, well done. Is there, um, and uh, these interviews go anywhere um, normally, yeah. uh, so have you done any other tertiary university level courses since then? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no. So, I, look, it, it's always in the back of my mind and I would love to do some more uh, in the space of emergency management um, and and even you know I, I've been looking towards an MBA um, as well but but the other thing too is I am finding okay I, I don't have any of that stuff but I'm I'm, I'm still opening up doors it, it's not yeah, like, yeah it's not like yeah, not yeah. having not having those bits of paper it's not it's not slowing me down. It's not stopping me. So the other piece too is with a young family, with being president of a, a fairly significant surf club, with a fairly high pressure role, there's only so much time in the day as well yeah. to be to be able to um, concentrate on things. And and to be honest, at the moment, I don't have the bandwidth to um, to look at any further educational I stuff. Love, um, and, and and the question's not um, as a as a negative at all. Yeah. What I'm what I'm I'm actually hi- trying to highlight is. Um, is uh, in one of the chapters of my book, um, the, the Courage to Lead. Um, it's called uh, Writing Your Own Story. So yes. you're kind of you're you've kind of written you've you've found how to write your own story without having 
a tertiary um, qualification yep. since being a um, paramedic, a private paramedic. But my God, it hasn't slowed you down. And no. anyone listening, anyone listening to you, like some of the things you talked about right at the start about the gas stuff, um, and and what you're in charge of now, reporting to Tre- New South Wales Treasury, yeah, that's high end stuff. Uh, yeah. And 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 you know your stuff. You like you've written your own story, and you know your stuff. You, yes. And your reputation, your reputation has opened the doors. And your, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and your own preparation. I I I would say resilience in one way, but resilience in some ways is, is preparation. So let's go into um let's go there. Um because I think when I think about Jamie Caldwell, it's what you led with uh when you uh were confronted with that gas situation in your in your new role. Um you, your last exercise as a region emergency management officer for the New South Wales police was a gas line, gas outage to the Blue Mountains. And that was all around doing an exercise all around preparing people for how that happens. So, and I know you and I have done that as well. So where that's obviously your skill, um, why do that? How you how do you do that? And what, what comes from that? Because I think mm. that's what's really, um, that's really put you uh, in a different level to probably some of the other people uh, that might have went for the job or in your field, you, you know how to do that at an exceptional level. So what, why do you do the exercises? What's the important part of preparation? Why, why do you think preparation is so important? Okay, so definitely preparation. Um, the, the key factors that I see of preparation, the important key pieces are relationships, um, plans and knowledge. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, and and Al, you've you've kind of mentioned this a couple of times, and it's one of my old sort of emergency management sayings. Whilst emergency management, we've got plans coming out of every uh, every office in in every high level office in New South Wales, and we've got plans for this and plans for that. Um, situations are usually not resolved until relationships occur. And having prior relationships in place is what I've found most of the time key to getting things across the line at all levels as well. It's, it's not just at the, the operational level, it's at the strategic level, it's, 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 it's at the executive level, it's at, it's at all the levels. Relationships are king, especially in emergency management, especially when, you know, the phone goes off at 2 a.m. in the morning and you look at that, you look at that name flashing on the screen you know who that person is, you know how they operate, and you know them ringing you at 2 a.m. in the morning, there's something going on because that's yep. that's not a normal occurrence. So relationships is a big piece for me as part of preparation. Now, exercising gives us the ability to understand each other, um, work out how the, the different key people that we need to link with during uh, those times when, you know, the balloon goes up, as we would say, um, the, the, the exercise um, structure gives you the ability to really understand who your stakeholders are, how they operate, at what levels they operate. Um, so during an emergency period of time, you can be really straight to the point, not beating around the bush. You know exactly what level you can go in with this person, what kind of um, directiveness you can have um, and where you can basically where you can hit the nail on the head with them. 
Um, awareness, as, as I mentioned there before, awareness is a big piece. So uh, exercises give us the opportunity to be aware of capability, um, to be aware of systems, to be aware of um, plans, to be aware of um, how we actually pull all this together, the methodology. Um, and, and the best piece of an exercise is, is that we can, we can make mistakes and we can learn from it. Um, during an exercise, a, a, a mistake is not life-threatening. Um, so the awareness that we can build through an exercise by either making the right or the wrong call um, is obviously something that, yes, we get during real situations, but in a real situation, we you know ideally want to be making all of the correct decisions or as correct as possible decisions as we can. Um, the other thing for me too with exercising is that exercises I find give us the ability to drop the uniforms, um, to drop the titles, to, to drop the, the medals, to drop the citations and whatever else we have. And exercise to a degree, it, it creates a level playing field for everybody involved. And it doesn't matter whether sitting in that room or, you know, if it's a, a desktop exercise, you can have the, the varying levels of different agencies in there and, and different functional areas, emergency service organisations. But to a degree, we all come back to a level playing field. And, and you know, it gives us the ability to then actually connect just as humans um, and see the strengths of each other during that period of time, rather than looking at that person and going, they've got, you know, three stripes, four pips on their shoulders, whatever it may be. We, we can actually break down some of that, that uh, whether we call it stigma or, or perception is probably a better word. We can break it down during an exercise and we can have the lowest ranked person in the room talk the most amount of sense, which, yeah. which is a really powerful thing for me. Um, and that's something that an exercise is able to embrace. Um, so, you know, I've always been a big advocate for exercising. As, as you know, we've, we've spent plenty of time exercising together. Um, exercising for me is, is a really important part of not just emergency management, but a number of other sectors as well. Business continuity, crisis management, um, cybersecurity, the list goes on. Exercising is a massive cog in, in making sure that we're getting it right. Well done. That's probably, um, you know, we've just been going for about an hour now. So um, what do you want to, let's go somewhere with what you just talked about then. So you, you gave an example in your current job that exercising kind of sets you up for a knowledge of how to address that that gas outage in the central west of New South Wales uh, with you know minimizing the time that a communities were without gas up to seven days I think you said um, yep. and everything entail everything entailed in that have you got one other thing in your repertoire of things that you've done where you did an exercise and that set up doing the real thing so much easier yeah definitely so um 31st of october 2021 um so this this was actually uh, an exercise that we were doing as as bullying surf life saving club uh it was around about 10 a.m we were just about to kick off on the um uh, completing a a sar a search and rescue style exercise with uh, Bulleye's emergency call-out team. So that's uh, approximately 20 members of our team that um, 
put their hands up to be available 24-7 for when the call comes through for any kind of after-hours in-water style emergencies or um, resource, surf life-saving resource deployment. Um, so I suppose the other thing too with exercising, especially exercises in the field, like on this day, you may just be jogging in the right spot for some really amazing outcomes. So we were just about to kick off, as I said, just after 10 a.m., kick off a SAR exercise off Bulleye Beach when our patrol captain on that day witnessed, and, and a number of other, not only people from the surf club on patrol, but community members witnessed a boat um, overturning on what's known as um, Peggy's Reef, um, just to the north, the northern headland of, of Bulleye Beach. Um, on that boat was seven males. Um, so basically the call came through and, and like I said, we were jogging on the spot and, and we deployed out there. Um, we had an IRB off the beach within, so a, an inflatable rescue boat or a rubber ducky, as a lot of people might remember them as, uh, the, the, the red surf life saving boat. We had one of our IRBs off the beach within two minutes of that call coming in. So that was making our way from the surf club up the top where we were doing some theory, gear on, PFDs on, personal flotation devices, down to the boat, starting them into the water and taking off. Um, I was on the first IRB uh, that deployed from the beach with uh, another club member, a, um, an Australian Federal Police Officer um, uh, by the name of um, uh, Dane. I'll just use his first name. He uh, was the driver. I was the crew person. We arrived around on that scene to find that boat upside down, three um, persons of interest holding on to the boat or being held up by surfers, um, and then information flowing to us from people in the water to say that there were still four people missing. Subsequently, what then occurred over the next um, uh, period of time was the rescue and retrieval of all seven of those males, so the four floating and the four under the boat, um, within seven minutes of that call actually coming through. And that was achieved through uh, a couple of community members who were surfing in the water at the time. One of our club members who um, was surfing at the time and he was the, uh, the person who did all the diving underneath the boat to, to, to get the victims from under the boat and back up and around. And then two IRBs and one jet ski um, then transporting um, those persons back onto land. So within seven minutes, we've managed to deploy, get all seven persons of interest in that incident secured and back onto land, which then transferred into uh, a major medical incident on the beach because we had concurrently on Sharky's Beach, the northern end of Sharky, uh, sorry, the southern end of Sharky's Beach next door to Bulleye, um, we then had concurrently four uh, unconscious um, persons being resuscitated concurrently all at the same time. Um, now, this is before any other emergency services have arrived or any further support from any of the nearby surf clubs had arrived. Now, the, the, the key piece of all of this was, yes, we were just about to start a SAR um, exercise, a search and rescue exercise, but what I saw on that day was um, my, my people, my club members, stand up and respond. And we had, just as Bulleye alone, uh, close to 70 people involved in that incident, whether it be on the beach performing CPR, in the boats, on the jet ski, in the water, um, or supporting the incident from a logistical point of view. What I then saw was P 
people under a significant amount of pressure and during a major incident and, and, and crisis, we could classify it as, performing to a very, very high standard um, level of operations. And that, for me on reflection, started coming back to the importance that not only myself, but other directors of Bulleye Surf Life Saving Club and our board of directors who, who have supported this, the amount of time that we've put into training and exercising our people that, you know, members of the community whose day in, day out job was a range of white collar, blue collar, um, you know, people from all walks of life from our club that the switch was flipped and people stood up, took direction, did what they needed to do, but also trust their own gut and instincts off the back of all the training and education that, that we have put them through. Um, so it just goes back to that piece for me of how important training and exercising is because a lot of people say to me, oh, it was lucky that you guys had your emergency call-out team there that day ready to go. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, no, it wasn't luck um, that those... So the, the outcome of that was only one male um, uh, unfortunately passed away. Out of those four males having CPR performed on them, three survived. Now, what I was going to say is that wasn't luck. That was brilliant planning, excellent training, um, and excellent preparation. Yeah, it, uh, it I think wasn't there, luck. there's a, a famous Steve War quote, is no such thing as luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. Yep. Exactly yeah, uh, right. Exactly uh, right. So uh, there's so many things, and I don't want to tie tie us down too much. But there's so many things in that um, in that account. Your passion, your um, ama- not amazement, proud um, proudness, I suppose, pride in how your people performed because of the preparation that they'd had. Um, what what would you say? Like, there's so much talk about resilience nowadays. Um, but would you make a comment that you had done so much to prepare your people that you have done all you can to up until that point um, make them as resilient as possible? Uh, no, no, I, 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 I think. Um... We, we, we as a collective team have done a lot with them, but I think the, the prime piece of we were there about to commence a SAR exercise shows that whilst there was a, a high level of resilience in our people, um, you know, there's still, I think, I think it's like a bucket that never empties, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or never fills up. There, there is still opportunity to build resilience in, in every part of what, the chosen field may be um and you know p- part of that as well with those people that i think of there um you know surf life saving is a hobby for them it's not a paid piece um mm. these people give up their time to be involved in this they're yeah. they're in reality it's probably third or fourth on their priority list um mm-hmm. but they were still there willing to continue to fill up their bucket of resilience in that space to be yeah you know, as best as they could possibly be to be prepared. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone, no matter at what level they operate at or, or what skill or attributes they've got, I don't think anyone is ever 100% resilient to the space that they're involved in. Um, and, and, and I would say 
if you think you are 100% resilient to the space that you're in, um, that maybe it may be time to give it away because that could potentially be, uh, you know, a bit of a flaw or a bit of yeah. a, a chink in the armour that could potentially, you know, and these are purely, this is purely my thoughts only. But no, that, no, 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 you're, you're, you're living it every day, so go for it. Yeah, that, that, that could potentially be the little chink in the armour that, that opens you up to, uh, if you think you're 100% resilient and, and you're not um, self-caring, um, so part of self-caring I see is the preparation, but it's also the how do we recover individually and how do we look after yep. ourselves off the back of those situations. If you think you're 100% resilient, you think you're bulletproof, um, I think that's going to be the point in time where potentially you open up the door to things like post-traumatic stress disorder and, and post-traumatic yep. stress injury and that. So, um, yeah, look, to answer your question, no, I, I, I think we can always, because resilience changes, I think, in the environment that you're in and, and the subject matter that you're dealing with. So you've, yep. you've always got to be prepared to adapt and evolve to the new norm so to speak, yeah. which we've seen occur a lot over the years, the, these past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, I think um, probably my question was around just by doing what you have done as a club, and, and we're just giving that that example of a bullseye surf life-saving club, you have continually exposed them to different exercises, different experiences, working yep. together. That's the foundation of resilience. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not yeah. saying it's 100% makes you bulletproof, but you've definitely given them a chance to to be exposed to something that not everyone's exposed to. And you and I think your words were they were um, performing to a very high standard of operations. Um, yeah. So so that's that's quite beautiful. I think um, there's not much more we can go. You've, you're you're very you're very good at just um, talking common sense, uh, not you know, having a massive big story and nailing nailing what the outcome is about being a leader in the environment that you're in like you it needs relationships um uh it, it needs i think you use the word um let's see, i don't think you use curiosity but a word similar to curiosity um you keep on looking for how how can we do it better and how yep. can i do it better uh, as well so let's uh, i think we might wind it up pretty well there actually um what um I don't want to, because you've only been in the job for about a month, so I'm not going to ask you the question I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Three months you've been in the job. Um, what advice would you give someone? You know, what, what would Jamie Corbell's little gems of advice be for a, for a person who wanted to go down your path? Giving back to the community. Uh, yeah. Um, yep, yep. Um, so I think, um, I think, one, you need to be honest with yourself. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you, you need to realise that um, being in roles where to a degree you're serving the, the community and the greater good, um, that, uh, and, and, you know, you've experienced this too, Alan, is that you will miss out on things. Um, you will miss out on, on significant points in time. Um, you, will, you will miss out on um, potential experiences with family and friends. Um, you know, you need to you need to realise that um, sometimes it's not all about you. Um, it, it is about the greater good. Um, I think the other thing too is is if you want to go down this path, um, relationships 
a king. Um, so being someone who is trustworthy, um, being someone that can establish rapport really quickly um, is, is key as well um, because, you know, this, this environment, as we've experienced, reputation is, is also really important. You, you, need to, you need to make sure that you don't wreck your own reputation through silly decisions or, or um, silly mistakes. Um, and the other thing too, I think is, is not, you know, just being a down to earth person, not having an ego, um, being someone that's approachable and being someone that can, that can connect with all levels. Um, don't forget where you started. Um, and if you do happen to climb ranks or climb ladders or whatever it might be, you know, it's, it's, and I, I can't remember who, you know, said this, but say hello to the janitor so to speak, um, you know, that, that analogy, um, don't, don't look down on people. We're all equal at the end of the day. And, th and that's, that's the one thing that I really love about, for example, surf clubs is that when you walk into a surf club, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone walks in on an equal footing. Everyone's equal. Um, yeah. it's, it's the surf that will then sort you out as to, um, uh, as to where you're standing is, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's a key couple of things. It's, it's really be honest with yourself, um, you know, understand and value how important relationships and building relationships are, but then also man maintaining those relationships and being trustworthy and, and, and honest as well. Um, I think they're probably the – and inquisitive. Don't be afraid to open up doors. Don't be afraid to approach people. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with people. If they are at a much higher level, you know, on the ranks or the ladder, um, do it. Um, because yeah. that's the only way you're going to learn as well and, yeah. and, and be able to pick up on things. Yeah. Um, it's very, uh, that's, um, I love, that's why I wanted you on the show. Uh, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know the depth that you would go, but um, it's so common sense what you said. And, one of the things you, in your in your second summary, you, you left out something you, you nailed in the first kind of um, off the top of your head. You said we're all equal. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of the I just only recently interviewed um, Carlene York, you know, the commissioner of the SES. Yep. And one of her things um, that she said and Mick Willing said the same thing, actually. Um, we're all the same. It's just our life has exposed us to different what different things happening to us, but we're essentially all the same. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. that, that exposure, you know, it, it's then up to you as to what decisions you then make in regards to that exposure, whether you go down that path or that path. Um, yeah. 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 And very ironically, I should say that I was only sitting with Carleen about an hour ago um, well, before we started <laughs> this. So um, there you go. There you go. I'll probably... Um... Her, uh, her podcast is due to release this in the next couple of days. I'll probably do it after this interview, actually, because it's, um, it's a pretty good one. So, uh, so yeah, so, um, mate, uh, Jamie, that's been an absolute pleasure to interview you. Um, I, what I particularly love is how you're kind of down to earth, but, my God, you don't operate at a down-to-earth level. <laughs> you're, operate, you're operating at the pinnacle of, um, of issues uh, for our current world. Um, so hats off to you, mate. Um, it's been a pleasure, uh, and I really wish you well. And probably watch this space. You know what, what's what's next? Um, and I don't ask you to answer this, but what's next with what you what, what you achieve um, in all your endeavours by being inquisitive and treating everyone as equals? 
and and with relationships is is the number one um, thing that you build that foundation on. Thank you very much. And um, with that, we'll end the interview. Thanks, Alan. It sounds cliche to say it, but really, how good was that interview with Jamie Cornwall? We have just been treated to a virtually 101 lesson in how to prepare yourself to lead in a crisis and how to lead in a crisis. What is so special about Jamie Corbell, it is such an exceptionally down-to-earth guy, but he excels in the pinnacle of areas that challenge humanity in the 21st century, emergencies and the frequency of emergencies that we see happening in today's world. I'll leave you with the four things that really sum up Jamie's advice to all of us about leadership in a crisis. One, we are all equal. Two, be inquisitive and don't be afraid to open up doors. Three, establish, build and maintain good relationships. Your success will hinge upon that. And four, be honest, be truthful and build a good reputation. Until next time, thank you for listening.